the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. We got a really interesting guest in a few minutes, uh, a man who is heading up the Happy Neighborhood Project, and he's having a happiness summit, and uh, our great Noah Dingley referred him to me. We'll talk to Edwin Edeberry, Edeberry, I hope I pronounced his name right when I talked to him. Uh, and uh, we'll also talk with John Schlafly. We'll catch up with John Schlafly. And you can go to uh, ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for our daily email, What You Need to Know, which goes out in the morning at 5 a.m. Pacific time, 8 a.m. East Coast time, and get clued in. All right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about an exchange I had early in the morning uh, with a friend of mine who's down in Florida. And we were talking about, I think he was in the middle of his morning prayers, or maybe he was after it, and he sent me a uh, text from uh, the uh, Beatitudes, of course, which everybody knows the Beatitudes, and uh, and it's uh, it's you know it's one of the most famous um, uh, one of the most famous scripture uh, quoted uh, messages of of Jesus Christ of Christ that people always uh, are drawn to, right? And they talk about and it's got a it's been sort of popularized in lots of ways and, and lots of uh, uh, messages, but he was. Um, talking about uh, Matthew's gospel, by the way, Matthew 5 is what we're talking about. And he was talking about um, the latter portion of the Sermon on the Mount, which talks about uh, praying for your um, enemies, praying for your enemies. And his point was, my friends, was that you have to engage the things that you know are so off, not with hate and not with anger. And so this is a convoluted way to get around to a, a, a political topic. Um, it is extraordinary to watch uh, the people addressing the question of the Texas law that is designed to decrease the number of abortions. The Texas law, of course, is a, a lot of us call it a heartbeat bill. Once a heartbeat in a baby is detected, you have to do some protection of that baby. And in particular, the Texas law um, allows a private cause of action for people to sue to try to stop that. Well, on Monday, there was a an, an, um, a brief, I think it was Monday, a brief filed about a different case, but related topic, uh, a Mississippi law that was uh, about early abortion, um, protection for abortion. And it was in the context of the Texas thing. And there's been articles, the Texas law, there's been articles about CEOs of tech companies that are going to move their jobs out of there because they just can't uh, live and work in a place where you have this law. In the Mississippi case, there was a an amicus brief filed by a bunch of women uh, athletes and Olympians, professional athletes. And it was led by this soccer woman, uh, Megan Rapinoe. Um, and they talked about how it's so important for them to have the right to abortion so that they can be great athletes. And when you read it, you kind of think to yourself, Are they, is this a, like a Saturday Night Live skit? Because they talk about the the fetus and they sort of refer to it as a, a um, they, they don't call it a life, but they're referring to it as a, a baby, having a baby. And they don't want to be inconvenienced by that. There's some other things that one could do to not end up pregnant. But when you read it, you're like, oh, my gosh, how can it be that all these women athletes who would have lots of people that thought that they were, um, you know, impressive would see this? And um, it's terrible. 
And then I was moved to think about this when I read a piece uh, in the Daily Wire. Uh, Uma Thurman, who had an abortion, uh, went on to write an op-ed. She's writing an op-ed about how it's the darkest secret in her life and that she had to have an abortion when she was 15. Um, and she was the worst thing that she ever did, a darkest secret, uh, but that women have to have that right and they have to do it. And I, here's what I thought. We are in a really bad spot where people are publicly able, willing, and even even sort of proud to discuss stuff that's really, really bad. Really, really, um, I mean, I'd say it's evil. I don't think that people are evil. I mean, one of the things that I would say um, that we have to be careful of is how, and late Phyllis Schlafly used to t- teach this to me, and used to say, um, you know, don't... Um, don't uh, um, don't go, don't try to uh, judge the person, judge the conduct, right? So don't say um, John Boehner is a bad guy. We don't know John Boehner that well. Uh, say that what he's doing is bad. Um, so, but the fact is that when you see this, and it's so publicly proclaimed, I mean, Uma Thurman is a very accomplished actress, and she re- writes this op-ed that she had an abortion. It was heartbreaking for her. She was 15 years old. Um, and it's just this terrible, terrible stuff. And my thought was, you cannot berate people into being on the right side of this. One of the problems is right now, you cannot tell people that are that have participated in something so terrible and so, you know, just horrendous. You can't move from um, what where they are to, you know, you killed a baby. It's just too hard for them. And um, and so I, I actually was thinking back to this that is my, back and forth with my friend about how you have to love these people. And it sounds, you know, like the, here we are in my, my radio show. We talk about a lot of things, but you have to start there. When you see people act so out of sorts with the reality of what, what you believe. And, and I'm not saying that Megan Rapinoe or Uma Thurman don't believe what they believe. But when you're a normal person, I think you have some sense that they're m- more disconnected from reality than not. I, I mean, I just have to believe that. And so what, what's the response? We, we need an epidemic and again, we'll talk with this man who's doing the Happiness Project. We need an epidemic of love for these people, love prayer for them, love for them, because you want to curse them. You want to uh, curse their conduct. That's a better way to say it. You want to call them the names that you feel when you see this. You know, Uma Thurman's essay is horrendous. She was 15. She says she was uh, made pregnant by an older, much older man. You know, so she was an actress already. So she's being preyed on in a certain sense, I think, by uh, by the system. It's a tragedy more than it is a... And so it's not... Somehow we have to you know, uh, realize the, the plank in our eye, even as we're criticizing others. But I, I wonder if we can get there. Because the media is making everybody so crazy and making everybody so agitated. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk with uh, John Schlafly about uh, his his column this week, I think, reveals some of the truth about what has happened with China and the Wuhan virus um, that is now publicly available. But the media is not letting us know that. I think they're able to just move us on. And when it comes to this abortion debate, they're lifting up people to take public positions and to proclaim them and celebrate them that are so destructive and sad. It just breaks your heart. And it doesn't persuade me on abortion, but it breaks my breaks my heart. And it makes you think, what can we do differently? How could we change the equation? What could we do? And um, there's got to be something. The, the, there's got to be something to try to change the dynamic because it's just so sad. It's just so terrible. It's just uh, so broken. And it's happening all around us, um, uh, all around us. And I have to say the last thing on this is that if this is what we're seeing, 
when there's an amicus brief and an article in the paper, when there's an op-ed by Uma Thurman, what are we not seeing when big tech and, and TikTok and others try to steer our children, as they've already said, uh, towards uh, their preferred positions? This is pretty scary. Pretty scary. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got some great guests today. John Schlafly, also this gentleman who started the Neighborhood Happiness Project. We'll talk about all that, and uh, we'll be back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest came as a recommendation from one of our listeners who heard him actually on another one of our shows on the San Diego station. And his name is Edwin Edaberry. We've been probably been practicing off the air to make sure I don't mispronounce it. He is the uh, leader of something called the Happy Neighborhood Project, which is about connecting people with local happy businesses. That sounds kind of crazy until you watch a really good TEDx that he did a talk uh, that is really explains it all so first of all welcome edwin how are you today i am happy ed thank you so much <laughs> you know what my uh, just to tell you edwin on when i drive my kids my son's home from school there is a channel on uh on pandora the happy channel and periodically we'll throw that on so there's something about the word that is just attractive to us tell us what the happiness project uh, the happy neighborhood project does walk us through it please so in a very nutshell, we, uh, back in 2020, around February, when the pandemic was starting to hit, and, and people, yeah. you know, people were still kind of shocked. We didn't know how, what it's going to do to us. And uh, we were going to celebrate the International Day of Happiness. This is one of the things that we had to bring about. The United Nations actually passed a resolution making March 20th <laughs> International Day of Happiness. So it's a day we are very proud of. We celebrate every year since 2014. And my work was actually recognized at the United Nations for what we do for global happiness. So when the huh. pandemic was hitting and they started shutting these things down, my team and I, you know, we got together and they said, what are we going to do? I said, hey, I'm not going to let pandemic stop us from ce- celebrating happiness, okay? So we got to look for huh. some alternative way. And so immediately, when you pose the right question, the answer always comes. So while everybody was shocked in fear of what's going to happen, we were looking for a way to celebrate happiness, okay? So immediately, we move on to online. And so we hosted the first event on March 20th, which is the International Day of Happiness via Zoom, and we had about 100 people register for it. And the whole idea was to help the small businesses, even though they were sheltered at home, to still, not, to still collaborate so they don't feel lonely. And so we have breakout rooms and stuff. People love it. And they say, hey, Eddie, can you do it again? I said, well, it's supposed to be once a year. They say, no, we got to do this again, you know? So we did it the following uh-huh. week and the following week. And fast forward, we now host over 75 weekly events with over 20,000 people around the world. Well, and so, uh, Edwin, uh, you know, I, I want to ask you about the origin of this because you've tapped into something that um, that people know uh, about, but they don't know maybe know the history, at least in the American context. You know, there was there has been a movement over the years and this sort of uh, and I don't know if they use the word happy, but, you know, the uh, the Norman Vincent Peale was a famous writer who wrote The Power of Positive Thinking. And it was this idea that you, you can think yourself 
into a better place just by saying, you know, I'm happy. You say the word out loud. Or there are studies that show if you smile at someone, it has a, it has a positive effect on you, the smiler. So how have you found in the pandemic, I guess the answer is everybody wants to get happy, but it doesn't feel like an easy time. Is it is it easier to spread uh, the, the your word? And more importantly, how have you done it in these? You, you describe on your website about how the Happiness Project will help connect people with businesses. How, how has that worked? Yes, so first of all, you are absolutely correct. I think there was a psychologist way back that said, every day in every way, I am feeling better, and you feel better, uh-huh. okay? And, and, and it works, yeah. because I end up interviewing over a thousand people on the subject of happiness. So I gather a lot of information on the subject. So, so what we do in the networking is that we know that businesses were shutting down, but we didn't want them to go out of business, Okay. So we'll bring businesses together. My most favorable one is every week on Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific. And then there was a time we got up to 200 people. And then we'll, we'll have two breakout sessions. And each session will last for about 20 minutes. And we'll send people to like about five to six people in a breakout room. So it's, it's just like right. you're in a living room with five or six people and sharing what you do, how you do it, what kind of help you need. And then they share the same, and then they leave. And we do this all for free. You know, so, so people leave, and they say, whoa, I can do this now with this person. Oh, by the way, I can refer you to this other business. And they just started networking together. Now, once, you know, so twice a year, we do big events. We do the International Day of Happiness in March. And then next month, October 8th, we are hosting the Global Happiness Summit. And it's one of the largest wow. networking sessions where we bring people together, they, they focus on happiness. You know, you, you, you know, you know, Ed, here is something I've learned. When you interview by a thousand people, you start to learn something about something, okay? You know, a lot of people <laughs> yeah. work very hard. They work very hard to become successful. Now, one of the things I find out is they make an assumption that if they are successful, they will be happy. But that is a very big assumption. A study has right. shown it's not always the case. <laughs> you know, so, so I'm telling people who come to our network, let's not take a, a chance that you will be happy. Let's build your career. Let's build your business on a foundation of happiness. So that way you are guaranteed you will be happy when you become successful. You know? So that's really the uh, core of why people keep coming back to our networking event. Where uh, and and let me make sure I don't think I said it earlier um, to encourage people to go uh, happyneighborhoodproject.com happyneighborhoodproject.com. There's a way to go there and look at other places. Uh, look at a directory and search for events and uh, put your zip code in and and be connected and a lot more about it. Um, Edwin is the. Um, is the, the I talk a lot on the show. We talk a lot about politics. We talk a lot about uh, uh, what current events is the um, is the polarization of of people along political lines. Is it making it harder to do what you're doing, or or is it that people want to get away from that and therefore they're interested in talking? People want to get away from that. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I'll tell you the reason we grew from one hundred to over twenty thousand is such a short period is number one, people want to get away from politics. People want to get away from pandemic, you know? People just want to get away. You know, they want a space. So that way, they, when they come, we are very efficient. Each of our events is exactly 55 minutes. It starts on time, it ends on time. And they know during that 55 minutes, they're going to focus on just positive things. 
Now, we were not trying to, to, you know, to say that things were not going wrong outside. We know politics were tearing people apart. We know the pandemic were killing people. We know all of that. But we wanted to create a space where people can come and say, okay, for these 55 minutes, I can just focus on my own happiness, you know? I, I can focus yeah. on spreading happiness to somebody else, you know? And so we never talk about pandemic during the meeting. We never talk about politics during the meeting. We don't even talk about religion during the meeting. People, and, and, huh. and I'll tell you this, we were very fortunate that people just kind of honor it. There is no place in our website where we wrote no talking politics, no talking religion, no talking pandemic. There's no place where we wrote it out at all. It was just that people just kind of just annoyed. They just kind of came. They see people are happy. Okay, we'll just focus on happiness, you know? And, and, and that's, that's what for us. And that's why I'm so excited about the Global Happiness Summit next month, you know, October 8th, where we're going to have over 1,000 people just coming and focus on happiness. And nothing else. Well, wait and a second. Now, what, tell, tell me about tell, tell me about that. That's on. I see that on uh, on uh, on the website again. It's happyneighborhoodproject.com. What is it though? On on October eighth, is it all virtual or is it in? Uh, it, oh, it, it is. It, it's it, a virtual event. It, it, it's a virtual event. They they go to the website, thehappyneighborhoodproject.com. They'll see a tab that says, you know, uh, EHS twenty twenty one. If they click on that tab, it's a virtual event. And so, Ed, what we are doing is this. You know, we, we're bringing people together. We're going to have speakers on happiness. We have a, a yogi, Ramesh, he, he, do, he do a class on, on laughing yoga. And people, this huh. is so funny because people will be so serious. And when the guy starts teaching me, they look at him like, what kind of joke is this, you know? And then, and then they're uh. like, okay, is this why I came here? Why am I here? And then a few minutes into it, they are laughing so hard, they forget themselves. And they find hmm. out why they say laughter is the best medicine. It's not a cliche because your brain secretes a lot of positive hormones when you start laughing, especially when you're mm. laughing for no reason at all. So we do that. Mm. We're gonna, uh, we are being sponsored by Dell Computers. We are very fortunate you know, about them, tribe, and we have given away. And then we're going to do speed networking. So each mm. person, they already complete their profile when they register for the event, and then we're going to match them with people who kind of fit into their profile. They have three minutes with each person, and they get to exchange a little bit and exchange contact, and they can do as many of that throughout the, the period. So it's going from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Pacific time. So there's just going to be a okay. lot of fun. Last year, we danced to Jerusalem. People were dancing in their own home. We just have fun. Okay. Hey, uh, very cool. Thank you. Listen, we'll um, we'll have you. We'll try to have you on either right before that again, the Global Health Summit, or right after. Give us a breakdown on it. So, uh, really appreciate it. I'm out of time. And uh, Edwin Edaberry, again, the website, the best website to go to. You can actually go to the uh, to the the neighborhood happyneighborhoodproject.com and click through to the to the uh, summit. Thanks very much, Edwin. It's great to talk to you. Thank you for all that you are doing. We totally appreciate well, you. All right. Don't worry about it. Just be happy. See how I did that there? All right, Edwin. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I will put it up. I'll, I'll put it all up on social media, everybody. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Happy Pro-America uh, Report. Be back in a moment. 
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with John Schlafly. John Schlafly writes a weekly column, the Schlafly Report, with his brother Andy Schlafly, and it, it is always posted over at townhall.com, our sister site, in the uh, evening on Tuesday. And then it is also available at phyllisschlafly.com, where all of John's columns are archived. This week, Trump vindicated on COVID origin, uh, and the column is about China, 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 as he says, and China, and China, and uh, and where and the roots of the COVID uh, vaccine. But John, before we get to the column, we were just talking off the air. Uh, immigration, we have a massive problem at the border. We've had a massive problem for three months. Now it's at least getting some coverage. And as you were mentioning, uh, Congress is sort of in the hopefully the death rattle of the Biden agenda. Uh, give me some observations on where things are. Well, Ed, of course, uh, you know they were going to try to sneak through amnesty through the massive tax and spend bill, but the Senate parliamentarian late Sunday night issued an opinion, and, and it wasn't a close call. You know, if you read what she wrote, this there is, it was a, it was a slashing denunciation of the attempt to smuggle uh, what they call immigration reform into the budget, and uh, so I really think it knocked the entire Biden agenda on its heels a little bit, and they're having difficulty with the entire rest of the package, it appears, at least as it and uh, so, uh, and and what's happened at the border, which we're only able to see because Fox News had drones taking pictures, uh, I think that had an impact on people. It must have had an impact on people, because these people who have swarmed over 15,000 people and there's 10,000 more on the uh, coming right behind them. You know, these are mostly Haitians who have been living in Chile, you know, for the last five to eight years since the 2010 right. Haiti earthquake. And they've had a pretty good life in Chile. Chile's, compared to Haiti, Chile is uh, an advanced and prosperous country. And, uh, so they have no, absolutely no, not a single one of them has any grounds for asylum. Uh, they're not being oppressed. They simply want to uh, take advantage of what Biden promised, which is that people come, they can stay. And uh, so they're coming by the tens of thousands. And that's just the hate. Well, and, and, and John, let me say something about that. Uh, earlier, uh, on, um, earlier on Wednesday, our old friend Todd Bensman over at the Center for Immigration Studies, he, he posted an image of dozens and dozens of Chile, uh, um, of, of, of the government of Chile, uh, ID cards, as well as Brazilian passports, all held by Haitians. And he said the reason Haitian migrants discard their Chilean and Brazilian ID cards over here on the Mexican side is to obscure from asylum reviewers that they were already safely and prosperously situated for years and years before coming for the American upgrade. So uh, I, I, that may be getting to be known. We'll see. But uh, but it, it doesn't seem to be. Be honest, John. None of these things seem to be causing the Biden administration to change anything or do anything, is it? No, it isn't. And uh, and I think the truth is this is exactly what Biden wanted. I mean, right. he wanted right. to erase the borders. He wanted to import tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions right. of uh, you know, you know, non-white people from all over the world who can be expected to mostly vote Democrat. I mean, that's the plan, uh, because they want to be sure that Donald Trump or anybody like him can never again be elected in this country. And it'll be like California. 
you know, we're, we're seeing, we saw what happened in California with the recall. Uh, California is lost, basically. And right. they want to be sure that the entire country uh, is effectively lost to uh, the people who voted for Donald Trump. And that's what's going on here. Uh, we're talking with John Schlafly. Again, the Schlafly Report is over at townhall.com, posted there. And then uh, all of John Schlafly's writing is archived at phyllisschlafly.com, where the uh, Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, uh, started by his late mother, uh, the organization he and I both are affiliated with. Uh, John, back to, for a second, to uh, the China and to your column. Um, do, you know, as this as your column went to um, went to print, and you refer to the British medical journal Lancet, which is is basically saying yes, it's China. Did you notice the Chinese released a, a, a study <laughs> saying ah, it all originated in America? I, I, and my my question here is: um, A is are we ever going to know the actual truth? And B are we going to lose the uh, fight with uh, the big tech and big media who don't seem to want to take on China? Well, those are some bigger questions. But, uh, you know, we thought it was important to take note of what the, you know, the Lancet, which is one of the two or three most important uh, uh, medical science journals in the world. Uh, and they came, they had to come down from what they put out uh, last summer, and that's not the first time they've had to essentially retract. So, and and our whole country has been in a lockdown due to the so-called experts, due to public health, due to Dr. Anthony Fauci, and Dr. Fauci was telling us a year ago that it could not have come from a lab. It had to, it came from natural origin. He said that's what the science tells us. Well, now, you know, the leading medical journals say no, actually. Actually, that's not what the science is telling us. In fact, the science is telling us that, in fact, is highly plausible that it could have come from a man-made lab. Now, they didn't actually say it was the Wuhan lab, but I mean that the Wuhan lab is the only is is the only one in consideration, and and that's what Trump was saying, you know, a year ago, more than a year ago, a year and a half ago. And everyone, everyone from Dr. Fauci to the Lancet to the uh, big tech and the media on down was saying that what the president was saying was misinformation. And now he's been vindicated. And it's important to take note of that. I would talk with John Schlafly. John, um, what does do you have any uh, thoughts then? Do you think we're going to get to the bottom of whether it was made as a, a, a weapon or or if it was, you know, in other words, as someone said earlier today, I heard some say, well, the only two variants we know about, the, the original COVID-19 plus now the Delta, both are pretty strong and pretty nasty. We haven't heard about 17 others. You know, where's the alpha, beta, gamma uh, variant that are, are not uh, particularly potent? I mean, are we talking about something that was, I guess, is this an attack on America and the rest of the world? And, will, again, will we ever really know? Well, I think the evidence strongly points to uh, the virus coming from the lab in the Wuhan Institute of Technology. Now, whether it was accidental or intentional, that is a big question. And uh, I guess we don't have, uh, you know, definitive proof about that. Uh, and I'm not sure that we ever will. Right. But, uh, ever will. 
you know, that is yeah. a serious question, and that is the next question. You know, having ba- I yeah. would take it as a given that it came from that institution, uh, and the next question is whether it was intentional. Because yeah. what we certainly see, what the consequences were, and, you know, qui bono, who benefited from the release right. of that virus? China benefited, and the United States was harmed. And that, you know, that is geopolitical, you know, that's biologic, could be biological warfare. And uh, it's important to never, you know, to not lose sight of that and can keep pursuing that. Uh, We're talking with John Schlafly. Um, John, may I segue to another subject I wanted to ask you about? um, And I didn't warn you that I'd go here. So if you're not as up to speed on it as as, uh, I wonder, as I think you might be, you can kick it till next week. Uh, But, John, the the indictment of the the lawyer, the prominent lawyer Sussman, who was at least at the law firm where um, Mark Elias practiced law, um, he was indicted for lying to the FBI about the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. I guess, John, after all this time, is there really going to be a Durham report that reveals some of what this deep state did? Do you, is that what, how do you read the tea leaves on this? Well, the indictment was pretty big. Uh, yes, he was indicted for lying to the FBI, which I think the American people have gotten a little bit blasé about that as being <laughs> what's called a right. process crime. But in fact, right. the indictment goes into elaborate detail about the conspiracy that was going on at that time. We're talking about September of 2016. Uh, And this was uh, the conspiracy to prevent Donald Trump from being elected in 2016, mind you. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is five years ago. And that indictment came out just two days before the statute of limitations would have run out on bringing that charge. uh, But what it tells us, I think, I think there's more shoes to drop, Ed. Now, we'll, of course, uh-huh. we've waited a long time for Durham. He certainly Yeah, yeah. Time. But the fact is yeah. that, um, uh, you know, what it reveals is rot at the core of the FBI. And we're, this yeah. is, you know, a week after the indictment, we're now seeing, you know, ripples. We've seen uh, one of the leading columnists in the Wall Street Journal saying that, you know, this is, it, with a headline, he says, it's time to shut down the FBI. You know, this is yeah. going, there's, there's rotten to the core. And Julie Kelly said the same thing in her column that appeared Monday, and she's followed this very closely. You know, you know it's more than just this one, you know, charge of lying to the FBI. What it shows is the FBI itself, institutionally, with a whole raft of the people at the top, from James Comey to McCabe to Strzok and Page, I mean, the entire top floor of that institution needs to be cleared out. And if they're already gone, they need to be, you know, investigated and possibly charged because they were all engaged, frankly, in conspiracy to influence the presidential election in 2016. I, yeah. Uh, you know, John, I wonder I wonder if when they write the history of this period, if they ever, ever do something and, 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 and decide that part of the problem was the pathway for senior intelligence officials became 
so public. In other words, I, I imagine if you were the number two at the FBI in 1979 and you retired, you probably went to a law firm or maybe you went to a corporation and you earned a nice living. But if you think about it, Brennan, Clapper, all these different people, they went instead to do books, do book deals and to do CNN and MSNBC. And by definition, they had to become part of the hysteria because that's the business model. And, you know, the idea that our, our senior, our most senior intelligence officials are mouthing off on MSNBC and CNN and writing a $7 million book like Comey, I think that was the number, yeah. uh, it, 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 it seems like that that's one of the things that got so off base. You, you, you could have made a great living. I'm not saying if you work your way up that high, you shouldn't learn, earn something, but it certainly seems distorting. Yes, it is. And fast forward to the 2020 election where Brennan and Clapper, of course, by that time right. they were out of government but still making a good living, you know, and they, right. joined, I believe, or at least one or both of them joined. No, they both did. They both did. Intelligence yeah. agents, both in and out of the government, who produced right. utterly false, you know, a package, yep. a, a package of lies claiming that the uh, the report about Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian di- disinformation. Yeah, exactly, it, exactly. It should have been, you know, kept off of Twitter and kept off of social media. And that was a complete lie. There was never any basis for that. And, and, and uh, uh, you know, that was one of the things which influenced the close election of 2020. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they and they used their authority. They were using their authority to say, "Don't look at this because it's Russian disinformation." And and the, and the media played along willingly. All right, John Schlafly, we got to go. Unfortunately, John Schlafly, the Schlafly Report is over. Townhall.com and also at phyllisschlafly.com. Thank you, John. We'll take a quick break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. The National Education Association, the NEA, is certainly one of the most powerful lobbying groups in the United States. The NEA holds a large convention every Fourth of July weekend and reaffirms its support of a long list of left-wing policies. When you hear the liberals and the feminists say the village should or can raise children, that really means the leftists want parents to defer to schools and let them make all important child decisions. Here are some of the NEA resolutions that tend to put public schools rather than parents in charge of your kids. The NEA wants full-day, every-day, mandatory kindergarten for all children. That gets the children out of the home and under institutional supervision. The NEA wants a full continuum of services for every child's pre-K years with what they call appropriate and diversity-based curricula. That means the schools will start brainwashing children in their pre-kindergarten years. The NEA wants to veto all voucher plans and tuition tax credits that would allow you to move your kid to a private school out of control of the busybody bureaucrats who think they know best about your children. The NEA wants the public schools to start in the very early years indoctrinating children with politically correct attitudes about racism, sexism, sexual orientation, gender identification, marital status, and family relationships. 
the NEA resolutions enthusiastically support school-based family planning clinics that can presumably counsel girls without interference from their parents. The NEA opposes allowing schools to observe any moment of silence. The NEA still supports ratification of the now-defunct Equal Rights Amendment, which we know would put same-sex marriage and abortion funding in the U.S. Constitution. And the NEA resolutions are laden with liberals' favorite words, such as diversity, multicultural, and globalism. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The liberal agenda is corrupting classrooms in colleges and schools across the country. If you're a parent, teacher, or administrator who really cares about our children, we promise to keep you informed at phyllisschlafly.com. And let us hear from you at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Hey, let's let's finish things up. I, I did hear John Schlafly reference uh, Julie Kelly's piece uh, in American Greatness. And let me I, it, that was sent to me by one of the listeners. Let me um, let me uh, go out there and, and go a little further. I'm going to try to have her on next week. Um, but I think there's a growing chorus of people who are clear headed in making an argument that you cannot continue the FBI the way it's operating. And uh, as we talk with John Schlafly about some of the top level, top uh, you know officials in the uh, in the uh, intelligence community who go off and make lots of money being public figures, you know prominently so, and have arguments about what they think is a preference. But if you read Julie Kelly's piece, and I'll put it up on social media, she marches through the mistakes. You know the the um, the abusive doctor, Doctor Nasser, who was abusing uh, all these athletes. Um, I think it's close to close to three hundred uh, uh, um, three hundred women athletes. Um, the uh, but. It, that was botched by the FBI. And then she goes through a list. And, 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 and she points out to the FBI director, Christopher Ray said, we'll never have that on my watch. That was before my watch. We're going to take care of this. She goes through a list. For example, you know, the, the FBI had four unlawful FISA applications, four of them where they lied. One of the emails was doctored by a top FBI lawyer. Remember that? There's a plot that the, the Michigan governor plot has been uh, has been shown to have all kinds of FBI entanglement. One of the agents in charge was uh, fired um, and uh, all kinds of things. The uh, the the um, uh, FBI burst into a couple, a home of people in Alaska, handcuffed them, interrogated them in separate rooms um, because of the January 6th. And they totally were nothing. I mean, she goes on and on and on. And um, her point is this. It's not the culture of errors that's the problem. It's the culture of no accountability. If, it, if there were errors and there was accountability, you would say, well, okay, that happens, right? This is a tough situation. It's a, you know, there's lots of things, high pressure. And if you, see, if you see four or five things that are a mess, what you know is, um, what you know is if you see four or five things that are a mess, you say, well, there's thousands and thousands that aren't. That's what you hope. But there's no accountability. There's not accountability in the in the in the sort of uh, in the treatment of what happens, and that's what Julie Kelly's point is. I think it's a good point, and I wonder now if we're headed towards a time where you're going to see uh, more and more calls for the FBI to be I don't know folded into something else, abolished. It's gotten pretty bad. It's gotten pretty bad. I think if you took a poll right now, you'd probably have a confidence level in the FBI that's probably in the maybe 30s or 40s which is a very, very different thing than it's been in our, um, in our lifetimes. 
uh, for sure. So, all right. Well, listen, I, we got to wrap things up. Let me say uh, thank you uh, to our uh, uh, to our great Noah Dingley is out, and so uh, Chris is filling in at uh, in the big chair. Thank you, Chris, for helping out, and also Joanna for booking our guests. If you have any more uh, ideas on uh, on guests uh, comments, you can always get to me. Go to proamericareport.com and hit the comment uh, button. There it comes right to my phone. Uh, and you can go on social media also, at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter, wide open on the direct messages, any, any of those ways. So we will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Thanks for listening. Be back tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.